0: Welcome back to Origins and Evolution. This is episode 10, and today we're going to be discussing light sails and moon artifacts. Dimitar, can you please start us off and tell us why is the moon perfect for storing artifacts?
1: Well, the moon is uh, a nice place for many reasons. It's close to us. It's big enough that there is enough gravity. Um, It looks like a small planet, and there are ways in which we know how to explore a place like this. But when we uh, talk about artifacts, and I'm uh, here continuing the discussion from our previous podcast about uh, extraterrestrial civilizations, our own artifacts which are living in the solar system, uh, made of metals and materials that can endure geological times, the moon is a better place than the earth or Mars or any of those other places in the solar system. Uh, For two reasons. Number one, it doesn't have an atmosphere. So even uh, relatively small objects, unusual objects, are not going to burn up uh, upon entry. They will just hit the surface. And if it's not with extremely high velocity, they're just going to uh, remain on the surface relatively intact, just like meteorites, which reach the surface of the Earth. Then a second very important part... um, in um, preserving this kind of artifacts for posterity, so to say, is that planets uh, like Earth and Mars have very active surfaces. Uh, the Earth particularly has an extremely uh, geologically active surface. Uh, you all know about plate tectonics, but then weathering and wind erosion, which tend, over geological timescales of millions of years, they tend to bury and destroy um, any surface uh, materials that were originally there. It's very difficult to find the ancient meteorite in the geological record. It's practically impossible. So think about that. The same is true on Mars. Mars doesn't have plate tectonics, but in the past it had very active water erosion, and today it has extremely active wind
2: erosion. And beyond that, it also has very strong volcanoes, just like Earth, right? When we have major volcano eruptions, and and Mars has gigantic volcanoes, far larger than anything we've seen on Earth, the eruption from those volcanoes in very, very large areas will cover up everything. And on the Moon, there is no volcanic activity, which goes exactly with what you've said, Dimitar. There is no tectonic activity, and therefore also no volcanic activity so stuff really gets preserved maybe for a yes. billion years or more. So
1: you can call the moon the perfect cosmic archive. We just need to get there and start uh, reading the archive. The big question is, how do we do it?
2: Well, the nice thing is the moon is not all that far. And, uh, you know, there's they're certainly some debate. That's my personal opinion. I know that... Blue Origins and Star X and NASA and perhaps the Chinese or ESA all want to send people to the moon and have a gateway for human astronauts. But I think that's kind of an outdated strategy. In a few hundred years, when we have the technology to send humans outside of our solar system, we may need human space travel again. Until then, and now that we have the computing power, the artificial intelligence, deep learning, 3D printer and other technologies... We should not be focusing on spending $18 billion to send humans to the moon where there is no atmosphere that we can breathe, you know, Mars that has much, much more dangerous radiation, but at much, much lower cost. Why don't we send hundreds or thousands of sensors to look for life on Mars or on these big moons that you've mentioned in the last episode, the big moons of Saturn or of uh, Jupiter, Or as it comes to the moon, that maybe does a a moon very, very detailed exploration with things that are not very far from small drones, except, of course, you can't use propellers because there's no atmosphere, to look at fine details. Are there in the moon as a museum or as a astronomical archive, can we find traces of natural or unnatural phenomena or artifacts that would be... Really very, very interesting for, again, a term that I think Avi Loeb may have characterized for astroarchaeology, which is an important new field where we look for artifacts and debris of perhaps extinct civilizations. Maybe they were at their peak a billion years ago. If they sent sensors to our solar system, we might find them on the moon. Absolutely. The benefit of time is
1: extremely important here. Uh, my father was an archaeologist back in Bulgaria, and uh, I remember how valuable it was for them to find multiple strata in the archaeological record, so to say, in places in which they had been habitation for many different occasions, and these were very rich. So why is that? Is because you get more over a period of time, and that is the problem with searching for all of this, natural or uh, technological artifacts on the Earth. You just... The record gets erased all the time. While on the Moon, you have the benefit of almost 4 billion years of accumulation and archiving, if you will.
2: Without, without wind, it. dust, volcanic eruptions, exactly. erosion. Exactly. It's absolutely amazing. So Inno- and tectonic we, activity. Yeah. Nothing gets pulled back to the center of the Earth. and. Can we do it,
1: it with robots? Absolutely. Now, of course... I want to be a tourist on the moon. Come on, Frank. We, okay. should, we should sign up for Carnival Cruises on the moon. Well, that's, but, an,
2: that's an $18 billion ticket. What, uh, yeah. Imagine what we could do with just <laughs> $1 billion if we send lots and lots of robots to the, to yes, the moon exactly. to explore and we have, it in fine detail. And we have. We have the technology to do that. Uh, there
1: have been a lot of uh, recent projects which flew very close to the surface of the moon and surveyed it. We have very good, inexpensive sensors To do X-ray spectroscopy, Uh, we can discover, you know, a lot of those artifacts, map the surface, discover a lot of the places where we want to then have something uh, as a rover, which will go and explore them close up. So this is all something which will benefit not only the exploration of the moon, but the exploration of asteroids and comets in the near future. And uh, frankly, there is a lot that we can gain, humanity can gain from that. Not only, of course, the very exciting prospect of discovering technological artifacts, but let me give you a couple of examples. We here on the Earth do not know what the Earth looked like as a planet between four and a half and four billion years ago. All the rocks which are that old have been destroyed by the plate tectonics, and the only chance we can actually find that part of the geological record, you know, of the planet Earth, our own planet, is to find those pieces as Earth meteorites that have fallen on the surface of the Earth, of the Moon. Uh, We know that they're there because we have Moon meteorites, lots of them, which are on the surface of the Earth from Impacts which hit the moon, they here on the Earth. In fact, we have many Martian meteorites. Impacts on Mars, eventually some material ends up on the surface of the Earth. Reciprocally, you have the same on the moon. So those rocks from that mystery period in the Earth's history are preserved for us, fully preserved on the moon. That will be a big step for Earth science to have those samples. And they're waiting for us to be found
2: and of course also looking for traces of life in astrobiology moving beyond the admittedly exciting topic of whether there could be extra terrestrial civilizations and therefore you know by by implication advanced intelligence outside of our solar system the more urgent and perhaps more promising question is: Is there is origin? Are the origins of life, uh, which we're exploring in the Harvard Origins of Life Initiative and, and elsewhere, is life probable, or perhaps even under the right circumstances on planets in the habitable zone, is it almost inevitable? And by having. Small-scale, miniaturized nanocraft, perhaps with light sails that you can explain later on. Dimitar, exploration of the Moon, but also of Mars, and I'm very keen on exploring the large moons of uh, Saturn and and of Jupiter. They're as large as the Earth uh, and have tectonic activity and volcanic activity. Some of them, can we? take microscopes there and look for telltale signs of cells, of protocells, and whether they perhaps were created in the past or today on these moons, large moons with with tectonic and volcanic activity or on Mars. So the search for astrobiology, which we do on distant exoplanets, by looking at the telltale signs of their atmospheres, Where in the future we may discover oxygen or methane, which could suggest life on exoplanets, but doesn't necessarily prove it. If in our solar system, using a large number of miniaturized nanocraft to explore the moon or to explore Mars and these other large moons of of Saturn, the gaseous giants Saturn and Jupiter, I think is very, very promising and is something we can do in the next 10, 20 years. There are some things that are super exciting, but we may not be able to do them for another 100 or another 1,000 years in interstellar exploration. But in our solar system, we can actually reach stuff. And I think the trend to get away from the large projects that have the human astronaut, the crude exploration still from the 60s and 70s competition with the Soviet Union culturally at their core and going to miniaturized, uncrewed nanocraft exploration in in our solar system. For serious science and for a better strategy of space exploration, I think large-scale, inexpensive, democratized space exploration in my mind, is the future. And that's where a lot of these big space ventures, in my mind, just have the wrong strategy. I'm much more critical because I'm not in an astronomy department, so I can, you know, have my independent thoughts and not worry about it. But that's that's what I'm thinking. And a key approach to that, a key technology, is not chemical propulsion rockets. They just get us out of our atmosphere But once we're outside of our atmosphere, how do we get to all of these places? What's the future technology that we can exploit and that maybe also aliens have exploited to get to travel large distances within our solar system and maybe eventually interstellar distances?
1: Yeah, you're right that uh, chemical propulsion is our choice of propulsion these days uh, for Mostly because that's how you leave the gravity of Earth and uh, the atmosphere. You have to go above the atmosphere. But once you're beyond the uh, atmosphere of the Earth, there are much better ways to move around. And light sails are certainly probably the most generic and uh, promising way to do that. We already discussed uh, Breakthrough Starshot with the laser driven light sails of. Uh, nano nanosatellites which can be uh, accelerated to speeds close to the speed of light maybe even a quarter of the speed of light and cover interstellar distances in short uh, period of time and carry small sensors but we certainly can do that today uh, in the solar system where it is not necessary and in fact it will not be that beneficial to move (laughs) near the speed of light. Instead, you still uh, move at very much faster speed. You carry a lot of sensors because you don't need to carry fuel. And you have enough maneuverability to take the data that you need when you arrive. One of the best things about uh, using sails and nanosatellites is the ability to have redundancy and to have multiple. And by multiple, I mean hundreds of probes. So instead of putting everything in one basket, all your eggs in one basket, and have this huge laboratory of expensive and one-of-a-kind instruments, you actually put those mini sensors or mini instruments on each one of your hundreds. Of probes, so you you can lose some, you can crash some, you can take the measurement several times because five of your probes arrived one after the other. You can do all of this because they're relatively inexpensive. They're low mass because they don't need to carry their um, fuel, and they get there faster than chemical propulsion does. So uh, why not put much more effort into designing? Both this uh, spacecraft with the optimal sail design for navigation, as well as propulsion, as well as the miniaturization, which, by the way, we already have done with smartphones and all kind of uh, Earth-based technology. It's just making it work in space and starting to
2: use it. Yeah, and even with existing technology. Again, this is technology for our solar system. Yes. Um, I just read something the other day from not long ago, uh, Max Planck Institute for Astrophysics, I believe. They looked at a sun diver concept for light sails getting pretty close to the sun without quite burning up and then using the significant acceleration to get to speeds of around They calculated With existing technology and materials, very important, something we could do maybe in the next 20 years to reach speeds like 300 kilometers per second. Now, that's a thousand times less than the speed of light. With that, it would take us 3,000 years to get to the nearest other star. So that's not the interstellar exploration technology because 3,000 years is too long for us to wait for data, plus who knows whether anybody's around to receive it in 3,000 years. But but to look at things in our solar system in a much more efficient way and with a miniaturized, uncrewed, multiple sensors for redundancy, for risk mitigation, that's just, in my opinion, and, and Dimitar shares some of that, the much better strategy for space exploration for the next hundred years, perhaps, in our solar system. There's so much to discover, perhaps signs of life, perhaps artifacts and debris of ancient and extinct or still existing, benevolent or threatening technological civilizations that may be out there. And if they're out there, we'd better find out sooner rather than later so we can formulate a response uh, and at least be aware uh, it would clearly change our whole philosophical framework and, and, and just about uh, would be one of the most important scientific questions you could ever think about and answer. So there's a new space exploration strategy, I call it for the next hundred years, miniaturized, light sail driven for our solar system with large numbers of miniaturized and, and perhaps even eventually self-replicating space exploration vehicles. That's the new strategy. That could be very, very promising. And uh, is very different from the very large a base on the moon, a base on Mars that would be very, very dangerous for the astronauts because of the extremely dangerous radiation on Mars that we discussed in a prior episode. And and quite honestly, perhaps somewhat not so useful on the moon, except it would be a fun trip, Dimitar. And, and if it is feasible, I will join you because that's going to be the best Disney ride I've ever taken. Um, but, agree, but scientifically, it. it's not that, that that crucial for people, for, for humans, to get back to the moon. We should have hundreds of sensors to get to the moon and to Mars
0: and to the, our outer solar system. Is our moon particularly well-crafted for the preservation of space artifacts, or are most moons similarly well-primed for preservation?
1: Our moon is particularly good in that sense um, for um, three reasons. One of them is that it is in an orbit around the Earth, which is in orbit around the Sun, but it's, it's in speeds and part of the system in which we can capture a lot of the incoming debris, so to say, uh, and without them moving way too fast to be destroyed upon, upon impact. In addition, as I mentioned, the Moon doesn't have an atmosphere, so you don't have the burn effect and doesn't have active tectonics or any kind of erosion on the surface, so they stay there, maybe buried right under the surface, but easy to discover and not intact, in a sense. The gravitational pull of both the Earth and the Moon as a system is kind of a little bit of a net that attracts a slightly higher flux of uh, incoming particles, so that certainly helps... Um, A little bit. Now, moons of other planets, um, like Jupiter and Saturn, happen to be mostly icy. Impacts in ice are fine. Um, uh, The debris, whatever uh, landed there, will be preserved. But icy surfaces tend to be dynamic. So unlike the moon, these surfaces may not preserve the artifacts for billions of years. uh, Mostly maybe half a billion years or 100 million years is the right number. And then some of them do have atmospheres. Uh, Titan has an atmosphere which is even thicker than the atmosphere of the Earth a little bit. So things that hit Titan will burn up.
2: Think about things falling on a glacier. Initially, they at the surface of the glacier, but over time they'll sink into the ice, especially if you give it millions of years. So it probably mostly vanishes. And, and, and some moons, beyond having an atmosphere, have volcanic activity, every time you have volcanic eruptions, it tends to cover up anything that may have landed or, or or fallen there accidentally. So our moon is a bit of a special case. We may have the best museum for the last 4 billion years of archaeological Absolutely.
1: If, if astronomical was, yeah. preservation. If, if I was to up. rate uh, all the bodies in the solar system, And that includes Mercury, which is a little bit like the moon, you know, and it's not active on the surface, doesn't have an atmosphere. But Mercury is too close to the sun. Uh, So the moon wins. The moon is on the top of that list. Uh, Everything else is kind of not as good because of what we just discussed.
0: Are moons that are near gas giants perhaps the worst? Because the gas giants would simply absorb and melt meteors when they strike, so there wouldn't be this space debris floating back towards them?
1: Well, they're mostly the worst because they're heavily made of ices. And they don't have a solid rocky surface with regolith, which is the dust, which uh, uh, cushions a little bit the impact. So the ice is a problem. It's too dynamic, and we don't... Really, the best uh, place is the moon, for all those reasons.
2: So we can be very proud. We've got the best moon in the solar system.
1: (laughs) The best archive.
0: The best museum. Thank you again for joining us on Origin Evolution. And we have a few more episodes in store, hopefully for season one. And that will wrap everything up with a few exciting guest appearances. Thank you very much and have a good day.